All right, everyone, welcome back to the Mission 300 podcast. And we appreciate your patience as we continue to roll out these episodes. Um, at times, we will get on a roll and record something that feels great and awesome and then go back and listen to it and realize there was a problem with the audio. So we have to scrap the entire episode. And, uh, you know, that's that's recently happened to us. But we appreciate you guys' patience and tune into each of the episodes here. So in this discussion, we really get into... I guess you could say the power of family and how that impacts not just your immediate family and not just in a spiritual sense, but you know, your church family, but there's, there's principles in the family dynamics and a healthy family dynamics that honestly apply to every aspect of life, our, our relationship with God in business and how we interact with people, people socially. Um, so without further ado, let's get into it. <laughs> Coming out of school, I was expecting to have like so many options and like being able to kind of choose where I want to go. But now I'm at, like having to look at like small companies and see like, I don't know, it's just weird because it's like a whole different like way of like networking for a job, I guess. Like I really have to use like the people I know. Whereas before I was like, oh, I could just like apply online at a job and do that for however long until I kind of figure out where I want to go, you know, pay down some debt and do that kind of stuff. But now I'm like, now I actually have to like meet people and like, I don't know, I have to use like my network more than I thought I would. So it's, it's been pretty interesting. Why, why, why do you have to like, what's that shift? What's the difference? Is it because like you realized like, the real world isn't what they make it seem like when it's the go to college and get a job thing? Or is there something like recently that's changed that where like a year ago or two years ago, you were still in that old other mindset? Well, I think it's, it's a little bit of both. Well, it's because, you know, the vaccine mandates with like a hundred plus employees, you have to have the vaccine or whatever and get that mandated. Um, so I'm looking at a lot, smaller companies but a lot of the smaller companies they don't post like stuff on linkedin or they don't then you know they do a lot of stuff through referrals and so it's like if i find an industry like that i want to pursue it's like you either have to know someone in the industry that can get an in with you with a smaller company that's hiring someone out of college because it seems like a lot of the the lot a lot of the smaller companies that i've been looking at they don't just hire like grads like normally it's like that you have to have a couple of years of experience or whatever so and it, it also has to do with too I think with just like I didn't realize coming out of school how much like I thought it'd just be pretty easy to just be like oh you know got my degree now who's hiring you know which I think would somewhat be the case but like I don't know I, I think I realized more of like I want to do something that I enjoy you know, you have to use the people you know more than ever. I think that brings up a great point of <clears throat> how how big relationships are now compared to a trusting a system to do it for you. Um, mm. And I think that actually is probably more realistic um, and more long-term powerful. A lot of people say, well, it's not, yeah, you got that, you, you accomplished that because of who you knew. And, and you know what, that's just true. You know, it's kind of even just like going to heaven. You kind of get in by who, by who you know. I mean, I don't mean that even 
in a humorous way. It's like relationships are the key into everything. And I think um, how, mu- how many problems have been really done because we've, there is no relationship. It's just we're putting people in as to accomplish something, but there's no relationship to it. If there was deep relationships in all of our systems, I just wonder how much of the world would be so quick to just knee-jerk react to things if there was deep relationships that were much more intertwined. I know like if you go to the mafia, their deep relationship intertwined. You don't break that apart. But I do notice on the other side, on the good side, that isn't as strong. And I wonder why that is. Never thought I'd hear the mafia as uh, an example of healthy relationships. I didn't say healthy. I said strong. Like, um, I remember I was working at, it's kind of like, a, it was a recovery type home, a drug treatment center, and they had a camp. So I ran the camp for kids. It was separate. It wasn't on the same property, but the ministry had two parts. One was a, a drug alcohol recovery center for a year program. And then they had a camp and I ran the, the youth camp, adventure camp. And it was kind of more of the preventative so the kids don't end up over here. But I would go teach over at the other center. And when I was over there, there was one of the guys, he was from Chicago, and he was one of the original founders of the Latin Kings. And um, I asked, we, we got to, had a great conversation. It's like, how did you go about starting the Latin Kings and, and founding this huge gang and how they, how they did the infrastructure and how they raised their money and all, the, all that that entails, right? And he said when he was nine, 10 years old, uh, he lived in this area that he watched how the mafia worked and how they ran their business. <clears throat> and so he just began watching that over the years because of where he, where he was, that he could just sit and observe it every day, how they did their, their, their process and all of that. And so he modeled it on that. But there's two parts to it. One, you get people that have no family, and there becomes this deep loyalty to be a part of something. And their initiation process, even as brutal as it could be, was more endearing you so it wasn't like you were forced into it. You were choosing that. But then once you're in, you don't get back out. So it, it, it had a double, double edge. But I do find it interesting that this is the thing that was supposed to bring um, that, that people would even come into Christianity by the unfeigned love of the brethren that there was this deep love and loyal family that people stayed connected and it drew people into Christianity because of the family structure. And and of course, with that, you're not having to manipulate, you're not having to twist the arms, you don't use fear to keep people in the family. It's, It's out of real deep love for each other and the satisfaction of that. And I find that that is not as common as you would, uh, think it would be among that, among the Christian circles. I was thinking about this the last like couple of weeks, actually. And do you think that that kind of, like we talk about that brotherly love and the family of God and that kind of spiritual bond, if that were actually a healthy operating thing, does that, or can that actually have real world implications? Like, in other words, is that going to, is that able to do anything for someone's day-to-day life of living in the world and interacting with the world or is it just like a 
okay, we have like our spiritual community here and our spiritual family, and that bond is good for our spiritual health. And, you know, the, as we move forward into heaven and eternity and all that stuff, but it doesn't seem like that really applies to anything outside of church and spirituality. Well, it, well it's, it's, if you went and looked at the original, the original church when it was being formed, the moment they became Christians, many people lost their jobs. I mean, it they were they were abandoned because of their faith. So this this community was way more than just the spiritual; it was every aspect of your life. And so you had widows, you had orphans, you had all these people coming in, and they had to take care of each other. And so when you really look at this, um, there was a deeper bond. I mean, you look at what Jesus said to Mary. Uh, even on the cross, he said, James and John, he looked to them, he says, this is now your mother. And she said, or he said to her, these are now your sons. But basically, he put the family responsibility of the natural family into the spiritual family. So they didn't separate any of this. And when Jerusalem, when the church in Jerusalem was really suffering, that's when Paul was saying, we got to send money back. And it wasn't just so they could expand their ministry, it was so they could live. They could feed each other. They could they, they could survive. And so it, it had to do with all of those elements. We've, we've kind of adjusted it more to the business model that we're taking care of. And I know we've been doing this a little bit different, even with, with our fellowship group that we've, that has formed um, with a bunch of new believers that have come out of our programs. And we talk about that and, and they've come together and they, they take care of each other. And they said this is the first time they've had real family. And so they, they don't, I, I think it's interesting, naturally, they don't separate the two. They haven't been taught to separate it. That you go to a place and that's church and now we have to live our life over here. It just became integrated one in the same. Because I'm, I'm really wondering how that's playing out for people like in the last year, two, three years. Because I kind of look at it and Tommy, I want to know if you've seen this for yourself and that's if it was kind of what you were alluding to earlier my degree in music business when i got that degree it was essentially a bunch of music classes and then a bunch of business classes and smash them together and make a music business degree we didn't really it wasn't really about music business like the industry of business in the music industry it was more like we're just mashing some music together with some business over here and the two don't really mix or interact but we are pushing them together to make a degree. And I'm kind of wondering if that's how you feel like the spiritual side of your development in college has been that. And that's great for one thing, but then you've got this real world stuff where, okay, now I've got to go out and network and these, and the things over here don't really help me over here. Yeah. I would. And maybe that's not the case for you. I'm, I'm really wondering if is, have you actually seen, the two affect and influence each other. And it's like, okay, the principles I know about God and faith in my life actually do something for me when I'm looking for a job and planning my career, or if they're not, if they're separate, okay, that's, that's one thing, but if they actually work with each other, that's another. I guess that's kind of what I'm touching on the most too, is like integrating faith with our like what we do for work, what we do as a job, what you, what you do to make a living for yourself is like, I never really connected 
that as I am connecting it right now, like really relying on God to make connections with people in order to get a job instead of thinking, oh, if I go to college, I'll come out with a job. No problem. I won't really have to do anything because I got I got the degree. I got the paperwork. But I, I think I'm realizing more now than ever. It's like it's the people, you know, and your relationship with those people like you you need to have not just a, like, oh, I know that person or own oh, I know their name, but you actually like you need to sit down and meet with them. You need to become like friends and even more than friends in a way. It's I don't know, it's kind of it's it's not what I expected when I was like as I'm wrapping up school like this year. It wasn't it's not what I was expecting to have to do over this next year is like it's 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 weird because I, I just thought if I get my degree, I know people and I can, you know, just figure it out. And like, but now I'm realizing more like if, if I want to do what I, like I, if, if I want to do a certain job or do something within a certain company, I have to work towards developing that relationship. And it's like, we almost have to take care of each other in a way. It's like, I have to give something and you get something in return. It's not like when you're working with other people, it's not like, hey, can I just sit down and pick your brain? It's like, hey, no, like I have something I think I can offer you. Like, I think this could help your business in this way. Hey, can you sit down and we can talk about it? We can go back and forth, you know? It's a lot more giving than I thought it would be, if that makes sense. Is it also a little bit like, you know, you would expect whoever can come up with the best sales pitch to get the account, but it's actually whoever's on the golf course with the CEO of the company and gets to know him and hangs out. That's the one that gets the contract, not whoever put together the most logical or reasonable sales pitch. And it's, it's, I think that has to do with grades too. Like you look at really smart people in school and you're like, Oh man, they're going to get X, Y, Z job. Like they're going to, but it's not, it, it, it is partly that, like you have to have a base understanding, but a lot more of it is relationships as I'm going through, kind of walking through the whole thing. When it comes to grades and classes? No, like I'm saying like for like jobs out, outside of school, like they care about your grades, but I'm thinking like, oh, that smart kid in class who always answer the question or like always knows his stuff. Like, yeah, he can get a good job based on what he knows, but. Oh, there's a lot of other people who are getting good jobs just because they're utilizing the people they know and the opportunities within school. Like, I don't gotcha. know. So I you mean like the, the best one in the classroom isn't necessarily going to make it in the real world. Yeah, exactly. Not that professors grade based on students they like the most, because I'm sure that would never, ever, ever happen. Oh, yeah, that, that never happens. <laughs> I, I see it in church, too, is like, the relationships you have with the people around you in church are like if they're nothing more than just the sunday ac like hey how's it going how's your week going that type of thing like church feels really meaningless like really really empty and with the church i'm going to now it's been way different than um like past churches I've gone to, I felt like I, I've been around my family in past churches, but it was like family. So like we always were 
but like outside of those relationships it's it's different it feels like more of a caring and there's people within my old church that do the same thing but it's I don't know it's just very interesting it feels more like open and welcome and like a family like we're here to help you in any way possible I don't know I was pondering how much time someone actually spends at work um and in our current day and age, you really don't get to know people at work either. You just kind of go to work, do your job, and then you leave. And we're almost uh, trained so much to compartmentalize everything. And I don't mean that you don't need a break and, you know, you 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 don't need to bounce a, around a little bit. But I'm almost wondering um, what what would it look like if we had to really depend on each other for jobs for work for community and and yet how does it not look weird like every time you really think about that it's like okay that's some cult group that's isolated or they're Amish or they're they're like this whole sect of people that are just completely different yet there's some like I'll use the Amish because I don't I don't see them in they're they're different in the sense of how they've chosen to live their values but they're not different in the sense that they're exclusive per se but they they live differently and they they fight for each other and they they take care of each other and i know like if someone gets married they all come together and they build a house for that person and um it's it's kind of a different different type of life and i'm not advocating for that i'm just saying there's some things in that that could be implemented but i don't know how to do it in our disconnected world um how do you start bringing how do you make living and spirituality one in the same? And I think maybe that's the bigger difference. Like you just brought up, how do I, God, who, who should I meet today that happens to work for a company that maybe I could fit, but you're not doing it to try to get a job. You know what I'm saying? Like that's where a networking is like, I'm networking to, most networking is because I want to give some, I want to get something from the people that I'm working with. But true friendship is what can I give into this? What's what's a give and take, and how can I add value to this person's life? And I'm wondering why we don't blend that together, or why it really hasn't been taught like that. Now some have, but I'm just saying as a whole, we why have we come to a point where we separate all of that? It seems like culture has kind of shifted away from family unit, and I wonder if that has anything to do with how we experience church now. Like, since the family has been, not all families and not every family is like this, but there's a lot of dysfunctional aspects within family. And so, you know, generalizing over some years now, right? Absent fathers, single mothers, people who don't have parents that, you know, does that play into a role on how we view church? Like, since the family unit has been broken up so much that, it kind of breaks up church in a sense because like you were saying the church and the family used to never be separated and now it seems like there is some separation so i wonder if if we figured out the family unit as a society or as at least in christian like a christian context i wonder what that would do to church as a whole well and and why did it get separated to begin with what's the motive behind that and to quote Martin Luther King Jr. of uh, the greatest threat to Christianity 
with communism because it it has this look of we could do things as a family, but it has a different structure, and it's godless and it's atheistic and it's anti it's anti God, but it has this lure that I'll finally be equal with other people, I'll finally be accepted, uh, and all of those people that have held me down and pushed me back will be finally be punished for what they've done to me. Right there, there's this lure of revenge and acceptance and all of those natural traits. And if we got rid of the natural family, I won't be hindered by my natural family. And those that have good families that keep keep it within their family, uh, their resources and their love, they will have to give that up. And they don't get to be that anymore. And we could truly have something that that is more for open and accepted by everybody. And if you don't believe I'm making that up, that is the core tenets of Karl Marx and communism is you remove the family unit, you put both people working. So now income daily survival becomes the centerpiece and you have the state take care of the kids and their education. So then the state becomes the parent and and you start breaking all of that down and they we've done that to our society for for many years so now all of a sudden but if you look at the church unit the church has adopted the same philosophy is like you have children's church you have youth group you have adult service you don't come one in the same you don't do things as a family your service is about 1 hour you go in you hear a message shake hands, turn and greet each other and say some, some fun expression. And then we leave. And I believe there's a huge place for that. And they're called conferences. And I, I really believe in, in that I believe getting big groups together, you have some of the best music we can, we can share an idea, but I think we've made that as family and it, and it's not family because family is very different like you have differing ideas and you have to wrestle through with each other and everyone's in different places in life and there has to be a sense of patience and growing but we've kind of made even how we do our gatherings more around i share these exact ideas and that's why i'm gathering so in a way and i don't mean jesus as the center and salvation i mean i mean obviously i do think there's some things that have if someone is is if you discover the powerful truths of scripture and you discover healing, you discover salvation, you discover grace, you discover freedom, you discover, and someone is teaching you those aren't true anymore. I can understand where there could be a, a separation, right? But at some point, doesn't all family grow together? I mean, if there's something anchoring, aren't we kind of always wrestling through some of these ideas and we need to do that a little bit together? But I think in a way we've kind of shifted more that we look a little bit like what we're trying to stop. It's top down. It's we, we speak at people. We don't really want to hear the interaction. It's one directional we prepare them for something, but or we teach the Bible or we teach that and people just depend on that. But most people have never actually read the Bible. They've never had an opportunity to wrestle through it. Um, if they're in a deep need, they have to go to a special office and fill out an application to, 
get their need taken care of. And I don't mean that just because it's a church, they should take care of every person's problems. I think you should screen it out. I think some people need to learn how to grow up and deal with their problems. But that means they need a mentor to come alongside and say, hey, it's time to grow up, but I'll help you walk through it. But it's time to grow up. We, we have to go deal with this. So, but the, so there was elders in the church. There was, there was older people. There was mother-father figures. Uh, Paul said there's 10,000 teachers, but there's not many fathers. We don't, we, the, the relationship side has been extracted from it. And I, and I think there's this deep longing for that. But our world is trying to separate that even more and even more with doing everything online. And you can just get your information and you can just get your news. And now we become, we, our real relational connection is only ideology, right? I mean, I, I'm not saying the only, I'm just saying if we can create our identity into ideology, you can easily separate and isolate people in a powerful way. And I don't know the answer to that because there's some ideologies I am not going to embrace. And if you're going to come at me with that, it's going to be hard getting to relationship because that's going to stand in the, in the way, but we've got to still figure out a way to break that down. And, and Jesus did that. And at the same time, uh, when we say we just need to love everybody, I a hundred percent believe that, but it, it says the love of the brethren is what draws people in, not how you love the world and accept the world. It's how you love the brethren is what turns people on. And I think it's interesting. We've mastered loving the world, but we don't even know how to love the brethren. We, we, we've loved in a way the world's told us how to love, but we haven't loved in a way that Jesus taught us how to love. Like, would you go speak the truth to your, your brethren? Like, we don't speak the truth to the world around us. We tolerate it. But we have no problem telling our local brethren how bad they are about something. And then if they are doing something wrong, we don't even know how to bring a reconciling and to bring truth. Like, think about Peter. I mean, Peter is the disciple, right? He's the one that, one of the three closest to Jesus. I mean, here's, here's this guy and Paul walks in in public and rebukes him for how he's treating the Gentiles. Like, why are you all of a sudden no longer with the Gentiles and you're over there changing and acting all Jewish when you're a Christian? You hypocrite. And Peter later on goes, man, Paul says some hard things, but they're true. See, that's love too. Peter, Paul wasn't irritated with Peter. He honored and respected Peter, but at the same token, they could speak that to each other because they loved each other. There was something deeper in that bond. I, I, I think there's something, th I think that is something that you are supposed to naturally learn in healthy family dynamics. So you're supposed to learn how the relationship works when there's something going on that kind of rubs you the wrong way or grates on you a little bit and to be able to tell the difference between okay this is just like a difference that i have to learn to live with and get over and it's okay to know the difference between that and this is something i cannot stand for and in a healthy family dynamic you see those things in the environment around you so you have a secure family where there's love and it's unconditional and you are accepted no matter what. And you also interact with things out there in the world, in other circles. And you can see, okay, this, 
we're a little bit different than this group, this family over here, but we relate to them in a lot of ways and we can fellowship in that. And there's things out in the world that it, it's a hard line. We cannot interact with those things. If you don't learn that and all that you grow up in is, is kind of a, a, a defamilied environment where you can just interact with the people that you like on the things that you like and you never have to confront anything else because anything else is ostracized and painted and, and labeled as, as bad then it's no wonder we have trouble with our relationships and it's no wonder we have trouble standing for something and interacting with people. And then it's, it's no wonder that instead of being able to speak the truth, like you said, to the world and speak the truth in love that we just tolerate the world because that's, that's all we know. We don't know how to actually stand for something and let the pushback be pushback. But we don't also, also we don't know how to unconditionally love our brothers and sisters like the, the thing you were saying with that, where it's the love of the brethren, that's the unique thing, not the love of the world, that that hits a chord. And I think it's pretty offensive to some people, too, because like you said, we've been raised with the opposite, that you love the world and you tolerate everything in the world and you don't judge the world. But you're supposed to point out the things that you see wrong in, in Christianity and in the brothers and sisters. I have no idea when that got so twisted, but that's that's the reality we have right now. But I guess my point being, I think healthy family dynamics are are kind of the solution to that. Like if you it's hard to to understand if you haven't grown up in a family. And that sounds kind of I don't know if that sounds wrong to say, because well, you're excluding people that didn't grow up with a family, then they are you saying they can't understand this? No. Because ultimately, we all have to leave behind this mindset of our earthly family and understand God is our father. And the fellow believers are our brothers and sisters. So now we're all in this family and go from there. Well, I, I think it's interesting that just even in our work of dealing with the fatherless, why is it 90% of gang members uh, in Los Angeles and or on the streets of wherever, pick your major city, are fatherless young men. They actually know what they're looking for. They're looking for family. They're, they're looking to connect to something. Uh, that's why they join a gang. They are longing for a group to connect with and be family. I think it's very interesting. And I think it's actually, they, they know what they're looking for. And here's the problem is... Um, and and again, this isn't this isn't necessarily a criticism of how we've done things or should do things, because it, it's very complicated. You know, like you could even bring up, okay, the church needs to change. You know, the church always needs to change. You know why? Because change is growing. So to say it doesn't need to change, but to just say it's bad, that isn't fair either. Because let's look at a pastor. Let's say he wants to conduct something different. He he puts together a different model. And he makes it family. Well, there's a lot of people in the normal world that don't want to go to that church that are Christian because it's not big enough and they just want to come in. They just want to do their message. And, and that's what they want. So we've been conditioned in Christianity for a way that the message is delivered and what church looks like. So it's hard as a pastor trying to introduce a new idea. You have to go against the grain of Christian culture in America just to bring out something where family is more common. 
it's very complicated to make a change in this. I'm just saying, if something doesn't change, when our world is going to be shaped that we absolutely need each other, we need each other. How do we get that? How do we build the godly relationships where we know someone has our back and they could speak truth that they're looking at the best interest of me moving up, me moving forward, me becoming strong? How do we build that, that culture where that becomes part of what Christianity actually is? So we have to drop the business model of what Christianity is. I know there's a place for it, but people can't be your customer. They can't be something to extract from to ad advance your vision. They have to be the whole purpose of the vision is for their life. It, it has to be. I don't mean they control it. I mean, your whole reason is to lift them because you see what God sees on the inside of them. And you're willing to speak and walk alongside them. Well, let me let me ask this: Is it is it possible? Because in the things that we've been describing, the things that we kind of observe, it it doesn't seem like the structure of a healthy family can fulfill the goals of, I guess you could say, what a stereotypical large organization church would be. So a large church, you need a lot of members. You need those members to give to the church. And I'm not saying that's wrong or right. I'm just looking at the structure and the, and the operation of those two things. But that's not necessarily how a family operates. Like there's some similarities to it. Like in a healthy family, everyone contributes something to the family. Yeah, unless you're talking about children in the family. Because like I've mentioned, I've got four children ages six and under. And they don't contribute much to the family in terms of what's needed to make the family function. They don't bring in any money. They they do some chores, but they don't bring resources in. They don't bring food in. There's other things, obviously, and that, that's a whole other topic. But you can't sustain an organization that needs cash flow when the family members in your organization, if you're trying to make it a family, don't contribute financially or monetarily to it. I like so my, my question is is can you actually use a family model in a church organization and have it succeed in the way that you know stereotypically we think about it? I I think you can. I think you however the church starts, it needs to start from a place of giving. Like Brian, you were talking about, you need to, to really have a relationship like that, you need to be able to give more than you get out of someone, right? And I think that's what has drawn me into the church that I'm going so much is that I am constantly being poured into. And in return, that, that actually makes me want to give back. And it makes me want to become a part of this. So it makes me want to be a member. It makes me want to serve. It makes me, it makes me want to do so much more because they have so so much into me. And I think that's that's how a family functions too, right? Like your son or daughter, your family, you you do everything for them. You provide for them for X amount of years, right? And I think where we lose it is in. America 
sadly, we expect you as the parents to keep, you know, to be able to rely on yourself when you're older. We, they, you know, the kids never have to repay back. Like, you know, I mean, some families do and that's good, but a majority of America, right? We ignore our elders and we put them in nursing homes and we don't ever, we don't interact with them at that point, you know? And I think that's, that's what's missing is like, to function as a church you need to you need to raise up new believers until those believers are self-sustaining and then they have to give back to the culture that's part of it's a give and a take and i think it's it's a whole circle of stuff and i don't know brian is that what you have seen i I know you've started kind of a house church within the community of believers you have is it did you give a lot to them initially or how did that work so over time i've I've come to this perspective and and we're testing it um i've seen it work just running our programs with fatherless young people what they need what kind of environments what draws them in um there is a spiritual component but let's be honest there's a natural component that that brings you in first that you want to be loved you want to be accepted and when they start seeing that and they see the treatment of each other it draws them into a higher place. And that is where, through time, we have these new believers that have emerged um, out of our programs because of the environment that was created. And so now uh, their life is being changed powerfully by God. They've, they've experienced them. They know them. There's, it's really been awesome to see what's taken place supernaturally in their lives. But they've also seen it translate into their natural world of how they treat other people, what's taking place, how they work, how they function. They, they, we haven't separated the spiritual from the natural in, in, their, in their life. And they just gave us the report. So we meet twice a week. Well, they started, uh, when they first came in, of course, they needed more work, and they were praying about God to supply more work. Well, work started coming in, but you know what became more important than having more work? Is this family time together. So they start stop taking work. They used to work. They used to work every day of the week once the work came in. But now it's like, no, we're not working Sundays and we're not working Monday nights because that's when we all get together. I think what was important to me is I watched one of the, several of them said, "This is the first time we've ever had real friends and real family." So so that's where that's that's where we are. So we're we're testing this out and it's been amazing and it's been working and we're seeing that these people grow powerfully like in leaps and bounds like it's i i am remarking at how much god is doing in their life and and all that taking place but we had to come to the point where it's family now let me go back to this point uh in second corinthians 12 14 it says now for the third time i'm ready to visit you i will not burden you because i do not want what is yours not your money, your possessions, but you. I want you to catch what Paul's saying there. I do not want what is yours, but you. For children are not responsible to save up for their parents, but parents for the children. So when you have your children give and do chores and and those type of things, you're not doing it to get their work. You're doing it to teach them how to work. You're doing it to care for each other because you're a part of something, so you care for each other. 
but you're not looking to get something from them. It's up to the fathers to give an inheritance to give out, right? It's really been remarkable to watch what they, they want to say, hey, can we give to something? They're asking to give. And so I'm finding if we will just model what we believe, the people will want to do that. But if we're trying to teach them what to do, but we're not actually modeling it, how does that work? I honestly think that's a great representation of it because obviously, like you just said, you're not saying that people should never be generous. You're more just saying like, this is what we've done. We modeled generosity in front of them and they actually connected with something that was bigger than money, bigger than coffee, bigger than the concept of generosity itself. God, family, that fellowship and generosity was modeled in front of them and they grew in that. Like, and that's no different than how any child develops. Like, we're, we're homeschooling our kids right now and they are learning things through their school books and through the, the, all the educational materials that we're using and everything, but they learn an awful lot more from just watching what my wife and I do day in and day out. I fully for, agree. For better and for worse. Well, and, and let me just say this. We are, we are visual, visual. We learn by what we see. In fact, more can be taught in watching than in speaking because there's so many factors going on in the movements and the interaction. I think I just want to even double down on that point of like, that is why I go to the church I go to now. It's not because of what they've given me monetarily, yet they have. They provide food, they provide coffee, they provide all this great stuff. But it's the the fellowship afterwards. It's the, hey, I want to walk, walk along with you through even the smallest thing. Like, oh, I mentioned one thing, hey, like I'm, I'm struggling with school. Like, man, this is tough. Like, hey, what can I do to help you study? And it's like, that opens a door to relationship. And like, like we were saying earlier, relationships are the key to almost everything that we do. And it's like, man, you're giving yourself to them. And in turn, they want to give themselves to something else. And I think that is like the most important thing that I, I have heard from what you were saying. I think the thing about this that makes it hard and makes, especially here in America, is this quick everything needs to happen fast everything needs to go quick i need to be able to impact this person right here right now right this moment but most change doesn't happen in a moment it happens over time right when i look back at the soccer team it wasn't one practice it wasn't one player it wasn't one thing that changed it wasn't one game that changed us it was a change over four years that took us from a team that barely knew how to play together, would lose every game or could handle one game and the next game can't handle anything and lose it to a confidence in knowing we're going to win. We, we expect this out of each other. We, we can play to this level. We know it, but that didn't happen overnight. It happened over four years. And I think that is what's wrong with a lot of mentorship too, is that, I'm here to mentor you, oh, for tonight, or, oh, you just got here, like, let me, let me do the best I can to sow into you right now, and I want to see change right now, 
but what about when I backslidden about 50,000 times? Do you still care about me then? Are you still going to be there for me then? And those are the people, those are the people that are really making an impact because they care about the person. They don't just care about the number in the church or the X, Y, Z, right? So well, I think that all kind of points back to where we started with this. So as we, in, in universities and college, we get a lot of the education on, well, here's how to create a marketing proposal. And again, all those things are good. But sometimes you get to the end of that journey and you're like, shoot, I don't know how to form a relationship with another professional. Or, oh no, I don't know how to network with anyone. And it's, and it's like, okay, great. I've gotten a lot of free coffee and donuts and attended a lot of free pizza parties, but I can't have a conversation. I can't influence someone. I can't speak into their life and I can't really perceive when they're trying to walk with me through my life because that's never been something I've been walked through myself. It's you are engaging in the presence with someone. And all you're doing is sharing a little something that you have. If all you have is the ability to study and someone's struggling and you just share that, you, you have to give something into the relationship, right? This, this relationship piece that you were saying earlier is really powerful. This verse it, in uh, Matthew chapter 7, verse 22, Jesus is talking and he says, Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name? driven out demons in your name. We've done many miracles in your name. And then I will declare to them publicly, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who act wickedly. In other words, we've, in, in some way, people don't want to have the relationship. They just want the power of the thing, or they want the impact of the thing, whatever it is that's going on. But I want to make sure I'm not the one that's creating that environment. I don't want to create the environment that everyone's a customer. So when you come to me over time, you look for customers. I, I want them to know I'm family. You talk to any one of our staff and the number one thing they'll say, what is it like working for Brian? They'll say, well, we're family. They've been with me for seven, eight years. I mean, it, we don't have a turnover. We don't, it is something that is different and it took a lot of work and maybe it happened by accident because of how I view this, but I'm no special hero. I, I still make a lot of mistakes in leadership and there's probably better ways to do things and how it could be run and how it could be organized. I just really care about these people as family and I know nothing changes. How do you introduce the father to a fatherless world if you don't put family structure and fathering thought process into it? Can I, can I give like a, a perspective on that from like the real world, like a concrete example of that is with soccer, you, you were the coach of soccer team and there was internal conflicts all the time. Players were mad at each other, angry at each other, things going on, X, Y, Z. Oh, we had two schools that were trying to merge together. Oh, that was a yeah. super fun experience of trying to bring in two schools and one of them really didn't want to have to be there at least the leadership and they're forced into this thing okay just for listeners dynamics of this whole thing yeah so setting that up it's just from the get-go there's conflict and there's conflict within the group of people who've played soccer before and are really really good 
there's conflict of people who haven't played soccer as much, but are wanting to learn and wanting to participate and be a part of a team. There's the school dynamics of two different schools. There's age dynamics. There's grade dynamics. There's all these different dynamics within a team. But as soon as we hit the field, we're a family. And all that stuff doesn't matter anymore. If someone's attacking my family, we're backing you up. It doesn't matter what went on at practice the other day. It doesn't matter what went on in school. When we hit the field, we were a family and we we're there to back each other up. And I think that is the thing within church that needs to change is in a church setting, in, in, a, in a service, as you call it, or whatever you want to call it, meeting, gathering, there needs to be this going back and forth of ideas of let's actually learn something. Let's, let's talk this out. Let's learn this through so that when we get out into the world, it's love. It's not Christian fighting against Christian. It's, oh, we're, we're brothers. We're in this together. It's, and that's the problem is a lot of the world has seen Christian people go against other Christian people. And then from an outsider's perspective, how do you look at that and go, you know, what do you, what do you say to that? They're disagreeing with each other and they supposedly believe in the same God and they're supposed to love people, but they can't even love each other. It's disunity at, at its highest point. If you were a kid that was a free agent and looking for a family and you saw a family constantly arguing and fighting and bickering, you wouldn't think, gee, I want to be part of that family. Because the second you get in there, someone's going to attack you and put you on a side and pitch you against someone else. It's, it's just crazy. But do you think part of I, that, do you think part of it comes from the idea that you're just a spectator of something? And you're not really a part of the team. It's almost more like most of what we would call Christianity is people that are sitting the bleacher and are, are bleachers and are fans of the game, but they're a bunch of pundits, but they're not players on the field. But we are called to be players on the field, not fans in the stands. You don't have punditry if you're a player on the field. You only have it if your fans in the stands. But the fans in the stands have the most voice. Because the players are actually doing something. So maybe there's more happening on the ground that we know that is good than what we can see. Yeah, that's a I think that's a really good point. Is I mean, like players, if if you're truly playing the game, you don't you don't get distracted by the crowd. And that might play into it too is like two people who are playing the game they they know they know how each other are playing and they they have a respect in that but if but if you're an outsider perspective all oh, you know I, I you see the same thing like i think of like times of hanging out with my friends here at the house where we're watching a game and oh man if i was that player i would have done this i would have you know but look at where we are we're on the sidelines we're we're the ones judging the people who are actually out playing the game. And, you know, you see that. And So we need to invite people into the game, and then we need to be able to coach them in the game, 
And then we need to deal with all the dynamics that go into that process. And there's groups out there to do it. And how does doing something tie into relationships? I mean, that's that's what I mean by doing something is go go make a relationship with someone. Go 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 knock on your neighbor's door and say, Hey, how are you doing? This last year's been really hard. How are you doing? I don't mean how I don't mean how how was today, how was yesterday. I mean, how are you doing? Like how are how do you feel? Like, are you hurting right now? Can I help you with the hurting? Are you happy right now? Can I help you celebrate? Can I, what can I do for you? And this, this might be a conversation to continue on, but take that truth that that is as clear as day to us. And now look at how over the last few years, people's ability to relate to each other has just been decimated. And tell me there's not something behind that. All I can say is if Jesus can change the city by meeting the woman at the well and by the meeting of the demon-possessed man in Gadarenes, one person in a city changed Samaria. One man at Gadarenes completely changed this whole region because of what God did in that one individual. Man, we've missed something of the power of just going and interacting with the one that God is sending in front of us and loving them. And I think we could start rather than critiquing, which I'm not trying to do critiquing how the church has functioned or what we've observed, but just forget the approval needed. Just go be church to people and be that and see what begins to happen around you. And that would be a much better proactive way than saying, oh, the, ch the church needs to change this or change that, because nothing in this conversation is what I'm saying, because I think there's all elements that are necessary pieces of everything that I've talked about. I'm saying there's a hunger level for family. So rather than searching for family, why don't we just take it and be family and just start that process and see what begins to evolve out of that place. And to say most of the stuff that we're doing is, you know, relationships. Yes. A lot of it is, it's, it's being a friend to someone who needs a friend. It's being a father to someone who needs a father. To kind of bring this all together as we close up here, I think the, the point being, this all applies to how we view our relationship with God, as well as how we function in the world. Like we've got to stop thinking of those as two separate categories. Your father wants to walk with you through life and relate to you. He's not just looking for what you can do for him. And in that same way, we shouldn't be looking at everyone around us from this idea of, well, what can I get from this person? And, and I mean that in every area, whether it's what can I financially get from them? But for a lot of people, it's what can I emotionally or socially get from this person? Instead, let's flip that. How can I relate to that person? What can I do for them emotionally today? And just not even worry about myself or what I'm going to get out of it. If we just started seeing that and understanding that's how our father views us, where he just wants to relate to us, I think a lot of things would change. So we appreciate you guys listening in every episode. Until next time, keep the faith and stay in the fight.